Hello, I'm Kenza, and this is the Finding Space podcast. As a photographer, I love the power of imagery, but here I've combined photos and audio to share a collection of stories around mental health illness and well-being within unconventional workspaces. In this series, I meet with a number of cyclists that talk about a range of topics from Olympic success to racism in the sport. This week is a talk with Ian Boswell, a former Team Sky and Katusha Alperson rider who is now a Wahoo Frontier taking on the world of gravel. We talked about his time as a world tour cyclist and the experience he had going through a number of serious concussions and how that had a major effect on his career. Last autumn, we met at his beautiful converted barn in Vermont. We took the portraits and sat down with a local beer and recorded the first episode of the Finding Space podcast. We joined the conversation as Ian is talking about the struggles he had setting goals in the early part of his career with Team Sky. Other than, you know, I had my goal for so long had been becoming a world tour rider. And then I, you know, got that contract. That was kind of, you know, I had goals along the way, you know, the national championships or tour de l'avenir or whatnot. But then I turned pro and I'd never reset like an underlying goal. That was like a long-term goal. You know, I'd turn pro. I was like, cool. I reached this goal that I'd had since I was 14 years old. And it wasn't until I think the winter of 2014, I guess my second year at sky that I had a pretty, intense conversation with Brailsford kind of like taking ownership for my career and it was really impactful for me because you know essentially he you know sat me down and said you know this is you know Team Sky at the time it's well Enios now it's a huge organization and all these all the people in the team the staff the coaches like they're going to be there next year regardless of you know what you do you know so you have to take ownership for what you're doing and your responsibility and that was definitely a, a turning point in my professional career to like really get involved and like make sure that you're looking after yourself that you know you can't put this blame on other people you know if you need a different coach then you need to speak with the team and change coach you can't say oh i didn't have opportunities because you're racing so many days a year there's always an opportunity if you if you're ready for it and i was just kind of like i said a bit lost in this whole transition to the world tour and didn't really have like specific objectives and goals until then did you talk to other riders about that or were you quite isolated in those thoughts uh, I was pretty isolated, you know, because it's, I, mean, I guess there was a couple, there was a rider at the time, Nathan Earl, who's still racing on Israel Cycling Academy. And we were really close. He lived in Nice. And I think we shared a lot just as far as our interests outside of cycling, but also, you know, both being from countries that were really far from Europe where we were living. And, you know, so we would, we, you know, hung out pretty much every single day together um, and trained. And, you know, so we spoke a lot about it, but it's easy to kind of put the blame on other people oh, I didn't go to the race that I wanted to or my race program changed or you know my coach isn't giving me the training I need which is kind of a cop-out you know it's like ultimately you know we got to that level because we were self-driven and then you're in a big team and you want to take more orders from the team to kind of be you know to conform to their work working ways and uh, yeah so I kind of shared a lot with him and but it wasn't really till I had that talk with Dave that kind of put things in perspective as how you know how I could take ownership for my career um, so I then spoke with one of my, an American friend who lives in Nice, an older guy who works in business and kind of finance and spoke with him about the talk I had with Dave. And he, he's like, well, what's your, you know, what's your kind of not business plan, but you know, in any other business, you have a business plan. What's your one-year goal, five-year goal, um, so on. 
And I realized I didn't have that. And he was a cycling fan, but didn't really know the inner workings of the sport and how it kind of operated. He's like, well, this is, you know, preposterous. Why do you, why is there no plan for your future? So over the course of the next couple of months, like through the winter and early kind of off season, he helped me kind of develop like a business plan. So my career path essentially. So I set up a lot of goals that were both team oriented, you know, race specific goals, but also goals that I had personal control over, you know, so many hours a week on my time trial bike or a certain body weight or a certain time up a training climb. Um, Cause setting goals, you know, as a young rider is easy. You want to win races, but you go to a big team like sky and it's like, well, what is my goal? Like get 10 bottles a race or, you know, what, what's, what's your objective when it's not goals aren't as easily defined. So I, you know, kind of set these goals and went back to Dave and made this presentation. I made like a, a big PowerPoint presentation, which I hadn't done since, you know, middle school or high school. And he, and he loved it, you know, because it was, so essentially what we came to was like, we sent a benchmark of, you know, his analogy was like, if you're a high jumper and you know, you want to jump, you know, six feet, like if you clear this then we'll give you a new contract, if you don't, then, you know, you didn't, you know, we're not going to give you a new contract. Um, so together we kind of created a, a document that was essentially what my like objectives were, you know, both racing, but also training and stuff. So things that I had direct control over. Um, Cause racing, there's so many variables to race and you can crash, you can be sick. And you know, it's a lot of it's, you know, very subjective to, to the environment, um, which all of a sudden became very clear for me. Like if I achieve these goals, then I'll, you know, continue as a pro rider. And you know, that document more than the team kind of held myself accountable for what I was going to do going forward. And yeah, that was yeah kind of a turning point in my professional career. You mentioned setting things, time on the trainer, things like that. Were you thinking about your mental health? Did did you ever say, for instance, I need two hours a week where I'm just doing, I don't know, reading or something. I'm making sure that you had time away or was that not a concern for you at that time? No, it wasn't really. I mean, there were certain like subjective factors that were maybe associated with mental health as far as like like per- mental preparedness for a race and mentally being ready for the race, not just going to the races and going through the motions. Because there were times in the first two years at Sky that I had considered going to Dave and just saying, listen, like I, you guys should take my contract away. Like I'm not, I didn't feel like I was pulling the weight for my you know, I guess for what I was being paid and like the, you know, I'd signed a three-year contract on Team Sky, which was you know, a pretty long contract in cycling, especially as a 21-year-old, I felt like almost guilty that I was on the team and wasn't performing to the level that that I expected and that they, you know, expected when they had signed me. Um, and there are a lot of factors to that, you know, being an American, living in a foreign country and being in this big team, I was kind of felt like I was lost in the shuffle. But no, there's there wasn't much emphasis on kind of the mental mental health side. And that's one thing that I think definitely lacks in cycling is like the attention to like, you know, no one, very seldom do people ask you, like, how do you, how are you doing? You know, it's like, how do you feel? Not how are you doing? Um, which are very different questions because physically you can be feeling, you know, great and you're fit, but mentally you can really be struggling. Surely there has to be a responsibility at some point where the teams have to be making a active approach to making sure the mental health of athletes is in a good place because... I mean, it seems pretty logical because it's only going to benefit them in terms of performance. Yeah, well, I think it just comes, it really would come down to just awareness. And if the sport as a whole and also teams, you know, put some time and energy into like mental health and realize that the performance gains that could be made through focusing on mental health, 
you know, very seldom do teams, you know, really get into like personal life and how much that can affect performance is pretty huge, you know, but there's a, a culture in cycling where I don't know where exactly it comes from. I think it just be, can be from the tradition of the sport where, you know, cycling is like the kind of the end all be all of, of your life and the amount of, you know, riders you see miss, you know, friends, weddings or birth of their own child for the sport is kind of blows my mind, but that's what's expected of the sport is to have that, you know, dedication. And I think there's a lot of, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, but like kind of the appearance of being professional is pretty big in sport, you know, so appearing tough and appearing like your focus is sometimes even more, it's more important than actually being professional. You know, another difficulty with, with this is that it's oftentimes the riders that, you know, want to perform, you know, and I, I guess you also have a lot of association with happiness to the sport. You know, for example, we're sitting here in my house that I could afford to buy because of cycling. You know, I mm-hmm. met my wife not through cycling, but like because of where I was at a certain time. So there's a lot of association with success to what, you know, and happiness, I guess, you know, some of the happiest times of my life have been, you know, being part of a certain race or a team or a victory. And I guess the, you know, the reality is in cycling, you don't often win, you know, as a team as well, like you don't win the amount of races you do to the amount of times you win are very slim but those highs are so high that you hold on to those and you're kind of constantly chasing that. And I spoke with a friend um, not too long ago who retired and, you know, just speaking to him about, you know, what's life like. And he's like, it's very moderate. Like there's, they're very low highs and there's very low or very low highs and like very like gradual lows and cycling. So up and down, you can be on, you know, like for example, when I crashed this year, you know, I'd had a pretty not tough spring, but you know, I, came into the season I wasn't super ready but I'd worked hard to get ready and it was like the first day in Torino I finally felt like fit and ready I'm like all right my form's coming and I'm like getting back to it and then you know in a matter of 10 seconds I crashed and hit my head and like everything went away and it's like you go from these extreme positives to these extreme kind of low points in the matter of you know a second maybe that's a a good time to maybe delve into that I know you've spoken about concussions and this injury before but if you don't mind maybe before we go into sort of the time after it and the mental space sort of just go over that day and the sort of the whole crash and the experience of it yeah so it was in uh Torino Adriatico I think it was stage four it was a relatively ran I don't say random crash but I don't really know what happened we were on a downhill and I yeah crashed hit my head was unconscious for a while by the time I remember anything I was being loaded into an ambulance and the first thing my team director had showed up and I asked him like hey like can I get back on my bike and ride to the finish because for some reason I had thought that we were you know two kilometers downhill and we're at the finish line we were you know 60k to go or something but just again that kind of going back to the mental health side is like my mentality was like I would I just want to finish so I can start again tomorrow which is ridiculous you know looking at it or telling to other people that you'd you're being loaded into an ambulance and you know people had clearly saw that I was you know concussed and I was unconscious for a while um but my mentality was like I want to get back on my bike and ride going through concussion at that severe level what did that feel like you know I was pretty confused you know so I was put in the ambulance we were taken back to the team bus and like thankfully our team doctor was on the bus and had seen the seen the crash and I guess there was a a period of the film where they were the camera was on me and I was like sprawled on the pavement in a very contorted position that wasn't 
natural um, laying there. So thankfully he had seen that and was aware that like, I need to go to the hospital to, for, you know, some scans and observations. So I spent a night in the hospital, you know, all the while thinking I was like, this sucks, you know, I'm out of the race and, you know, okay, well what's, what's again, what's next, you know, okay. The Basque country is in 10 days time. I'll be able to go back to Nice and train and can get back to racing. Apart from the concussion, there were no physical. I mean, I was sore, but it's some, nothing that I hadn't really Common been feelings, through. No. Yeah. And like, you know, I'd landed on the back of my head. So my neck was sore, but you know, you're just tight and you're kind of, I guess you block out a lot of kind of symptoms as well. Um, and I was just more frustrated to be in this kind of rinkety hotel in the middle of Italy and you know I didn't have food and I was in my chamois for 12 hours and they didn't give me anything to change into you know so I went back to Nice the next day um Phil Dignan had actually driven over with my wife who was in Nice from Monaco to pick me up they spent 14 hours in the car which was amazing for them to come pick me up because there was no other way for me to get home with trains or airplanes or anything you know I spoke with the team doctors like you know take a week off and you know then you can resume training so I was very much of the mindset like well this is unfortunate it's a kind of a week off the bike which is a long time you know it seemed like and my wife was in nice and had planned to leave or had a flight back to the u.s around that same time around like a week after the crash and all the while i was very eager to get back on my bike and ride and you know she was very adamant like no this is what the doctor said you need to take time off and mentally you know this kind of just goes into the psyche of a of a professional athlete i was like oh, i just can't wait till she leaves because then there's no one to look over me and I have my own little, again, my own little bubble in Nice where I can do what I want and I'm not, there's no one to control what I'm doing. And once she leaves, like I can go sneak out on rides and she's not going to know. So I was somewhat cautious. I tried to ride the trainer a couple of times before I actually went out on the road and very quickly, a lot of my symptoms came back. And from there, it was kind of apparent that I wasn't, yeah, there were, there was more wrong than I'd maybe initially thought. Sort of generic things that people associate with concussion or were you feeling yeah it was just very symptomatic as far as like headaches and double vision and you know it felt very irritable you know confusion tired you know nothing that really i didn't associate you know i i'd had this was like my sixth pretty well-known concussion or that i you know been aware that i've been concussed but i didn't really put anything to it other than maybe i just hit my head in a funny way and i'll you know might take longer than eight days but it's not going to be a you know a season ending injury when did you realize that this was going to be a longer term injury? How did that come about? Kind of still ongoing, um, yeah. to be honest. And I came back to the U.S. I think maybe three weeks after the crash. And so those two two weeks in Nice when my wife had come home um, and I was there by myself, my roommate was gone. And I was just really like, I guess it made me realize how how isolated I really was in a foreign country. You know, when I had my bike and you know people to ride with, I had tons of friends and tons of things to do. And all of a sudden, all that had been taken away from me, you know, so I was in this, you know, apartment in Nice and I was like, well, what am I doing? Like, you really, you've, I found myself alone, you know, some, some fans, actually this guy, John Canfield from New York city, like had sent me a care package with some, you know, snacks and he actually sent me some puzzles, which were great. So I actually went to a store and bought a bunch of Legos and built a couple Lego airplanes because I just didn't know what else to do. You know, I wasn't supposed to be on my screen much. I wasn't, I couldn't watch Netflix or, you know, be on my phone that much. And it was the first time that I kind of realized how much of your life you build around cycling. And if you take that away, what, who am I? What am I doing here? You know, I'm just this like kid, you know, American kid walking around the streets of France, you know, buying a few groceries and then hanging out of my house for, you know, 16 hours a day. Because a lot of riders have even spoken about how cycling, even though they 
will do it a huge amount racing and training that they also use it as their meditative state in terms of getting away from stress so i guess also having that taken away from you is you can't do the one thing that you can completely escape from yeah i mean i started there like where i live in nice there's like a, a pretty big park on a hill so i did a fair bit of like walking and listened to you know some different podcasts and stuff just to stay entertained um yeah but that's very true like what I mean, you taking away this huge part of my life and this huge part of my routine and like happiness and something I looked forward to every day. You know, if you have a rest day, you look forward to the next day, like, all right, cool. I can start preparing stuff for, for the next day. And I was kind of like, well, what am I, what am I doing here? And it became much more apparent when I came back to the U S you know, we live in this relatively rural area and a lot of the people in this area are very resourceful. Like they know how to do a basic plumbing project or, you know, contracting and, all of a sudden I came back, I wasn't riding, you know, I was, we were getting ready, our house ready for the wedding. And, you know, I've become such an expert in cycling that people oftentimes come to me for advice. And all of a sudden I was having to seek out advice from other people, which became apparent. Like it's really difficult to ask people for advice, or I found it difficult to like be, to be not knowledgeable. And in this area, there's not many cyclists. So it's a very obscure kind of career I have. And so to like kind of find myself in this place of like, who am I and what am I doing? And, you know, neighbors like, oh, you're, you're around. I thought you were going to be in Europe. It's like, what are you, do? you know, to this day, I am not racing. It's like, what have I been doing for, you know, six months since I crashed? You know, I'm still this professional athlete, but I'm not competing. Um, so there are still times when it's like difficult. Like, what is my, what is my purpose, I guess? Um, which is, yeah, difficult. It's kind of going back to that meeting you had with david brailsford have you had to sort of sit down and set yourself goals again whilst you're in this period how how have you gone about approaching this because obviously it's in a time when i imagine you've been feeling down and there's been i don't know anxiety or pressure about not getting back to the sport how have you been able to manage that yeah and there's been a lot of issues with like depression and anxiety associated with concussion just with the the chemical changes in your brain, which I've dealt with, you know, myself and I've, you know, seen counselors and therapists to kind of just talk through things, which has been helpful. But a lot of it, it seems to be so inconsistent that it's, you know, I'll have like a, an episode or something where I just feel depressed and I don't know what, what I'm doing. Um, and so I'll schedule an appointment with a therapist, but by the time I speak to them, like everything's passed and it's like, well, what am I, <laughs> what am I supposed to talk about? Cause I don't feel that way anymore. You know, even if it was just 24 hours or 48 hours prior. Um, and so I did set a lot of goals, which was actually in this case, like negative. I'd set goals based off of like when I wanted to return, like, okay, by this date, I'll start training. Or like I said, you know, I'll be ready for the tour of California. And then that didn't happen. You know, so I was disappointed that I wasn't back by then. And then like, okay, I'll try to do the tour de France. And then that didn't happen. Okay. I'll aim for the wealth. And then that didn't happen. Um, so these constant goals that I had set for myself, cause I knew that was, you know, a progressive way forward. And then to realize that, you know, I kept like failing at those goals. And so it was a big process to kind of, I guess, understand that in this scenario to like not set expectations for myself because every time I did, I kind of let myself down. That must've also been very difficult for you. I mean, it's difficult for anyone, but someone that's coming from a very, goal-driven sporting environment where everything can be attached to a number or a figure or a date or and then you're coming into this 
such unpredictability was that a massive change yeah because i didn't really know what was going to happen from from day to day and i also you know i had done i've done another interview with uh, a vermont small magazine here just about i guess the guilt i felt for kind of getting back on social media because for a while i just completely got off it you know if people messaged me i would you know write them back but i didn't really use you know social media for a long while and i got back to it and a lot of people were wondering like, well, what's Ian doing? Is he okay? Is he going to come back to racing? You know, so I started kind of posting pictures of like kind of my everyday life and what I was doing. And I was, you know, smiling in a lot of them. You don't put a frowny face picture on Instagram. People do, but you know, it tends to be like the best things you're doing. And so I felt a lot of, I guess, guilt in the sense that what I was, you know, sharing with the world was very positive and people, I, I also understood and felt bad that I've been on the other end of the spectrum where someone's out of the, you know, race calendar. So that means someone else is going to have to attend a race. So if I'm not there, then that means someone else is going to be away from their family at a race they weren't supposed to do, you know, but then they would, you know, teammates would see a picture of me, you know, I don't know, having an ice cream or, you know, swimming in a lake, which is all stuff that, you know, they would probably like to be doing instead of being at the race that they don't want to be at because I'm not there. Um, so it took me a while to kind of get over that kind of that fact that like, I just need to do what I need to do and not feel that guilt of just trying to be happy because I still was you know I'm not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and like pretend like I'm okay but I'm you know I'm still dealing with this injury very much so today and just trying to find that that happiness of like you know I'm, I don't mind sharing me being happy doesn't mean that I'm able to race right now but I can still be happy in my day-to-day life and share that with people do you know your next six months now obviously you were saying it was a, a negative thing that you were doing earlier in the year that you were trying to set yourself goals of I need to get back is it now just an open-ended thing that you're trying to work through or how are you approaching it now again there's been a lot of ups and downs there's been times when I've you know and I guess in late June early July was able to train quite a bit and I was like all right cool and like I said I'm going to get ready for the Vuelta Um, so I started resuming training to close to like a normal level of you know what I would be able to do um, and after like a week or 10 days, like a lot of my symptoms came back. And then again, I was like back in the slump, like, well, geez, I can't, I'm not improving. Like what's even the point of, you know, doing all these therapies and seeing all these specialists. So I was very discouraged. And then I was like, well, how am I going to find a job? Because, you know, we have a house and a mortgage and, you know, it's a life that we need to pay for. And, you know, so there's, there's been a lot of swings in this. And other times I'm like, oh, I don't want to go back to racing. It's too dangerous. Do I really want to go through this process again. So you know, I have an agent who kind of helps me navigate teams and op- offers with teams. And, um, you know, I was really questioning what I was going to do. And once I actually got an offer, it made me really kind of, I had to make a choice, you know, it was like, we want to, so I have to decide, you know, I'm kind of in this process now, like, do I want to go back to racing? And that's very much my choice. And having gone through this whole, you know, kind of, you know, this process of, you know, being so far removed and finding these other points in my life that bring me happiness is that something I want to go back to and that's kind of in the that's kind of where I'm at right now is do I want to go back to that or do I not and if I want to go back I know what it takes and I know the sacrifices that I need to make because I don't want to just go back to like I said go through the motions I guess if I go back now I go back with like a real purpose and like a real understanding of what life is like without racing because I've kind of been through that for the last few months you know I haven't had a job so it's been unique because I haven't had to like you know go to a nine to five job so it's been you know, maybe more of like a honeymoon than, you know, would be, you know, stopping to racing and 
you know, entering the normal workforce. But I guess in a lot of ways it's been, there's been a lot of negative sides to kind of the, the crash and the subsequent recovery. Um, but there's also been, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's also been positive in the sense that it's given me this op- a really unique and rare opportunity to take a step back and ask myself like, you know, do I want to do this and why am I doing this? And I don't think a lot of people in any career, whether it's, you know, professional sports or business or education ever really get that opportunity to take a step back and have a, a window of time to actually decide, do they want to do something again or not? Do and you I think, think oh, sorry. Oh, no, I think it's something that, you know, kind of in mental health that teams could provide, like you were saying, these, you know, personal health days or mental yeah. health days. Um, or mini sabbatical. Yeah, exactly. Like if a, if a rider could go to a team, I know Pete Kenna did something similar last spring with, with Bora, um, where he was mentally going through a, a difficult time and he took, I think, three months away from the team. They continued to pay him, support him, and he returned to the team when he was ready. And then, you know, it happened again this year and he's you know completely walked away from the team. But I think it would be something as far as the athlete's mental health would be a huge step if, and probably in all walks of life and any sort of work where people could actually have a, you know, it's a company's not going to agree to letting people have like a three month sabbatical, but something to allow people to take a step back. And, you know, we have an off season, but your off season in cycling is so much, it's so short and it's so filled with like getting ready for the next year, but to actually have a point in your career when you can take a step back and decide, do I want to do this again? And, you know, for example, Marcel Kittle, I've been in contact with him since he's decided to retire. You know, he ended his contract and took a step away and he had an opportunity to decide, did he want to go back or not? And he didn't. And I have a lot of respect for him making that choice because that's in a lot of ways, that's a much more difficult decision to make than going back to racing because it's kind of the status quo for him to go back to racing. It's something he knows and everyone knows him. No one's going to ask him any questions, but walking away is like, everything's new. Everything's changed. He's, you know, a different person. And I guess it goes back to that first thing you were talking about, the shame of feeling down because you had the dream life as a cyclist. He must've battled with that in that decision, because I'm sure a lot of people would be saying to him, why would you give that up? But for him, I'm sure it was came to the, the logical decision that no, I, I need to build and I've got new things in my life and yeah, yeah, and that, and that's extremely difficult. It's also, you know, he was at such a high level of performance that you know people are going to question why he did that. He was such a good athlete. You know, it's a waste of talent and whatnot. But I don't see that at all. You know, life is can be so happy in so many other ways. And I guess the thing that this process has made me realize is that at some point your career is going to end, you know, and as a, as an athlete, your career is much shorter than someone who's in any other walk of life. And that's a very difficult transition to make. And I think a lot of, there's not, there's very little emphasis on like, how do you transition through life from a sporting career to a normal career? And 99% of pro cyclists are going to have to find another job. You're not going to have enough money to, sit on the beach and you know drink margaritas for the rest of your life so you have to and there's no emphasis on how does that transition happen and it's you know it's difficult for anyone whether you're 40 years old or whether you're you know 21 years old and you never make it pro it's it's a really difficult transition so i guess bringing us back to where we are physically right now obviously no one else can see this but it's one of the most beautiful places i've certainly (laughs) been in terms of location the world and this house and 
um has when you've completely detached yourself from the world of cycling we've you've shown me a tour of the house and you were mentioning a bit earlier sort of teaching yourself a few diy and plumbing things what what are the sort of things you've dipped into to enjoy and escape from the world so i've been uh pretty occupied with our house we have 10 and a half acres so a lot of mowing i love mowing grass because there's like a there's a visual end to it it's like well it doesn't look great now you mow it and then it's done and it looks amazing do you have a fancy new mower or have you gone have you got one of those old school no there's too much too much grass (laughs) for that um we have a i have like a small tractor uh, an old Kubota that I use for like the field and then I have like a little push mower that has kind of been my workout out back probably takes me two hours to push mow but I enjoy doing that and yeah there's some other projects around the house you know I have a chainsaw so I've been taking some trees down we have a bunch of apples so trying to just kind of keep up with everything really but one thing that's really kind of resonated with me being here for several months now is that the importance of like being a good person and like being part of a community and being active um, you know, in Europe, oftentimes pro cyclists, you can, I don't say get away with a lot, but you're, you're kind of put on a pedestal, a pedestal to a degree and people want to be with you because you're a pro athlete and you, you know, have some sort of notoriety and in this community, no one really cares. Like there's no freebies because I'm a pro athlete. Like it's, you know, how do you incorporate in this community? And that's become very prominent to me. And we organize a bike event here, um, the Peach and Fall Fondo, it was two weeks ago now you know this is a town of 700 people and we had 250 riders coming from you know all over new england and you know across the u.s and to see like the smile on those people's faces and like to be to see an impact that you can make that's not really related to my career has been awesome and also just to have that feeling of people appreciating me for not racing a bike which is very unique it's something that's difficult you know as, a, as an athlete you get a lot of Except freebies or people want to you know give you something or take you to dinner or whatnot because you know you're not a celebrity but you have you know you're i don't have a lot of instagram followers so being here it's been nice to actually realize the importance of being like a quality human being and to not be able to like get away with things because you're you know a professional athlete Thank you for listening. And if you want to see the portraits from that interview, please check out kbschley.com. For more interviews like this, please subscribe to the Finding Space podcast. But more importantly, if this story resonated with you, please share. The more we engage with the topic of mental health, the further we can go to break down the stigma.